Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome tonight to another edition of Medically Speaking. And we have a full studio tonight. We definitely have a full studio. We have with us Dr. Peter Greco from the community as well as St. Mary's Hospital community neurologist in St. Mary's partner for a very long time. Dr. Greco, thank you for joining us. And thank you for asking me. I am so excited to have you here. And we also have with us Beth Nielsen, who is a registered nurse and the stroke coordinator for St. Mary's Hospital. So that gives you a little bit of a hint. We're going to be talking about stroke awareness and what we're doing at St. Mary's to improve the quality of our stroke team, as well as how we care for our stroke patients here in the community, because we are a center of excellence. And we we want to make sure that the community knows exactly what we have to offer. We also have with us joining us, but he's not going to talk. <laughs> he's not going to say anything. My husband finally decided to escape our home and actually come here and watch and watch the program live. And that's because we're talking about stroke. And those of you that know me well, I always talk about my husband and how he had a stroke many moons ago, and he's an incredible stroke survivor. So he can definitely attest to that there is life after a stroke, and there's things we can do to prevent stroke. So we want to make sure that we educate our audience about all we have to offer. So if you have a question, we are live. So you can definitely call in 203-757-1320. Johnny always gets mad at me when I don't give the phone number out. So we want to give that out right away. And also, we are going to be live on iTunes. So you can definitely find our programs on iTunes via the podcast, however that works. I, don't know, I have an incredible team back at the hospital. All I know is Johnny gives me a CD and we bring it back to the hospital. And we have this incredible team that loads us up. So you can find us on iTunes under medically speaking. So again, we are talking about stroke awareness tonight. And Dr. Greco, you've been with us a long time here in this community as a neurologist. When did you come here? I've been here um, 35 years. 35 years, as long as I just said I was married. 35 <laughs> years you've been here. And you were a young lad when you came, right? I think back then, yes, <laughs> I would hope so. Where were you from? Where were you from originally? Were you from here? Uh, no, no. No. I'm, uh, uh, I came from uh, Washington, D.C., where I lived 12 years. I mm -hmm. did all my training down there, and initially from uh, Jersey. And what drew you up here? Um, actually, family. Really? My brother was a physician. Oh, Dr. Thomas Greco, who and we know very Tom, well. Thomas Greco, the rheumatologist, and I wanted to be with my brother. That's awesome. And, you, and you've resided at the Scoville Street building for a very long time, both of you. So you're right attached to the hospital. So anytime we need you, you're right across the bridge. It's there. You're run, right there. It's a short run across It's there. definitely a short run across. And I can tell you that, I've, I mean, I've worked with you a very long time, too, here in this community, and you're very well respected. And I know that you're... You're incredibly busy. So for you to take time out and be with us tonight, I thank you so much. Because this is a really important topic. And stroke care has changed a lot. Yes, it's my pleasure to be here to talk about 35 years of uh, dealing with stroke. And the changes. And the changes and all the progress made. Now, Beth, you joined the team when? I joined the team last January. Last January. So you're a newbie to us. I'm a newbie, but I think 35 is the, the number tonight. I've been a nurse for 35 You've years. You've been a nurse for so 35 years. I've only years. been at St. Mary's for a year. Yes. Now, where did you come from originally? Uh, originally, I'm from the Middletown area, Cromwell. Well, oh, we talked about that, right? Yeah, yeah. From the Middletown area. And what drew you to us? Uh, I was, in my previous uh, position, I worked with stroke. I was the stroke QI lead. We didn't have a stroke coordinator. So I was actually at a stroke conference. Last uh, in the fall of 2014, and I met some folks from St. Mary's. Did you and really? They said we're looking for a stroke coordinator. I said, Oh, I want that. Yeah, that's yeah. Because yeah. I, as a part, you know, we didn't have the resources at the time, so I was, um, I saw the need, and I thought this is a great opportunity. So. You know, and I can tell you, anytime one of our teams is out there in the field or at a conference, our teams tend to be infectious. Mm. We definitely have an infectious group at St. Mary's, and and that collaboration, and we sniff out the really good ones. So I'm glad. They approached you. That was an important decision by St. Mary's to hire her. What is the role of a stroke coordinator? So as a stroke coordinator, uh, getting a stroke program ready for certification for the Joint Commission, there is um, quite a bit you have to do. We need to set up processes uh, based on evidence-based guidelines. The American Heart, American Stroke Association guidelines uh, really are what we follow. And then... Um, as we apply with the Joint Commission, they look to see that we follow those. So we have processes in place. There's core measures. Um, 
there's education, there's a whole realm of things that I will set up or have set up with the team. Actually, many of it was already in place. And right. so what I did was just kind of we brushed it off and, and um, have monitor that and really beef it up a little bit more so that when the stroke patient comes in, you know, everyone knows what their role is. What the role is. And I'm sure that ever since you arrived, you've been pretty attached to the HIPAA, Dr. Greco. Yeah, we um, mm-hmm. we worked together. And, you must uh, have been excited, Dr. Greco, finding out that we were getting a stroke coordinator. Oh, no coordinate. No, no, no question about that. Uh, Absolutely. The coordination of her care has been wonderful. It's a very yeah. tough job for her to deal with all the different uh, subspecialties in the hospital. I know every. And I know we're going to get into this, but I hear it more often than not. Stroke alert. Right. You know, which coordinates our team, and we're going to talk about that more and more. But that whole word "stroke" that's such a scary thing. It's such a scary word. I, I can tell you when I got that call. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you don't know what to expect. You know, so maybe just giving a little backdra- background for our audience on stroke. And I know we were talking about the incidence of stroke. Why don't we get into that a little bit and, and just sure. to educate the basics, and then we'll we'll talk about our team approach from there. Right. So stroke, uh, it is a medical emergency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, annually, about eight hundred thousand people experience a stroke. Believe it and or not, to, to all different degrees. Right. Right. Different, yes. There's different kinds of strokes, and we'll get into that. It's um, the fifth leading cause of death. When I started working with stroke, it was the third leading cause about four mm-hmm. years ago. So it's interesting. It's encouraging um, that we've made progress, and it's bumped back right. to, the fifth to the fifth leading cause. Hmm. Um, well, the death rate has decreased 21%. Wow. Because of the That's excellent care, care provided. Yeah. Across the, across the, the nation, year. right? Because yeah. everyone's trying to follow these same standards. Exactly. And becoming a stroke center. Right. There's these the standards. Uh, yeah, still heart disease, cancer, pulmonary diseases, lung diseases are out ahead. Also trauma. Trauma. And, oh. and then we have stroke. And then one that's creeping up is Alzheimer's disease. So sometime we'll have to get together and, and, and talk, talk a little bit more. About, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, before we leave tonight, there was a program I have you to do on Alzheimer's, but we'll talk about it. (laughs) We'll definitely talk about it. So getting back to to what a stroke is. Sure. And I just want to say that, you know, for uh, instance, it's actually the number one leading cause of long-term disability. Mm. And when you really think about that statement, that, you know, that's big. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know. The patient, the patient's family. You can can live after a stroke. Absolutely. You can, you know, you can live after a stroke and there's varying degrees of disability. Right. I mean, you know, we definitely live it every day. And the death rate has decreased 20% over the course of the last 10 years. Which is awesome. That, yeah. yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah. It's huge. But you, you know, not dying from the stroke, you're still left with those disabilities with those other situations that you have to learn to deal with. Right. You know, but it's something that can have a long-term effect, but it doesn't mean you're sick. Correct. Which, Correct. you know, is important for patients to understand. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's talk about what a stroke is. Well, uh, the brain is highly vascularized. There's many, many vessels there, and uh, particularly they get most, the brain gets most of the, the blood supply. So a stroke is a cutoff of the blood supply to the brain, any particular portion of the brain. Hmm. Now, it can be a cutoff uh, related to a clot or a hemorrhage, hmm. but that portion of the brain, which is highly metabolic, needs glucose and oxygen. The blood supply is cut off. So the brain, the brain stops functioning, and whatever portion of the brain, and the brain is very complex, will stop functioning, and that that'll give you the symptoms of a stroke. It can be a bad stroke, or it can be a reversible stroke. Right. Now, in that cutoff period, is there a time frame that's critical? Usually, um, uh, a transient stroke will last only minutes to um, uh, to an hour or so. Right. Right. But actually, um, uh, neuroimaging, in other words, with MRI, we could see, actually see the progression of the stroke. So within one to three hours, it's, it's progressing. After three hours, to the 4.5 hours, up to six hours, then the stroke starts to take root, and, mm. and you'll see irreversible damage. And then there's After zero. six mm. hours, then you start to really get into trouble. Remember, the core, the stroke will, core, will cause a core of dead tissue mm. around the dead tissue, like a donut. There is um, vascularization that remains. Right. That, that blood flow can still come back if you could work on it. If you can if work on it, something. which is some of the treatments yeah. we'll talk about in a little bit. 
Um, what about a hemorrhagic stroke? We talk, you mentioned ischemic. That's the most common, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, let's. Well, yep. Matthew wanted to talk about um, ischemic the types. Strokes. Yeah, so, we'll talk about the types. Strokes. Right. Yeah. So there's there's two basic. The two types are ischemic or the clot, which is 87 percent of strokes are from a clot, and then the other 13 percent is the hemorrhagic. So hemorrhages are, are less common, less but much more devastating. And we'll, we'll talk about those right, pr- right after the, the clot ones. Right. So what happens in the ischemic stroke? So they are the most common. Right. So what ends? What's what ends up happening? What usually what happens there uh, um, is that the blood vessel actually forms a clot and closes off, mm. or a clot migrates from another portion of the vascular tree and mm. usually the heart but it can be a artery to artery clot uh, but usually a heart to uh, artery clot um, the clot the, the the types of ischemic stroke are um, large vessels closing off 20 mm. percent right many vessels closing off 20 percent a larger portion 30 percent are actually the clot we talked about coming from the heart right and then there's a certain portion, 20% of them, we never know. You know where they come from. And, and sometimes we're stuck with that. You don't know where they're coming from. How about from the leg? You know, we talk about DVTs or pulmonary emboli. Well, that's that's a very interesting story, but a complex one. Yeah. Um, usually clots from the leg are, again, in the uh, veins. Right. The veins usually come back. Uh, usually, usually feed back into the heart. Right. So clots would have to come back to the heart, and then usually pumped out to the lungs and cleared. Right. So they never get to the brain. They never get to the brain. But there's a certain um, there's a circumstance called a, a, a PFO, hmm. patent frame and ovale, which is a special situation that we look for closely, hmm. and that's where uh, the clot may come back uh, to the heart from the veins. Right. And not get shunted to the, not get, not pumped out to the lung. Right. It might go across the right. PFO or a hole in the heart to the other, to the left part of the heart and pumped up to the brain. It's called a paradoxical embolus. So that's it if someone happen. has the little hole yeah, in 50, the heart. Yeah, yeah. Now that that's interesting. That uh, it's a very interesting situation because a lot of us, there's people in the room right here, probably have one. Huh. It's it's a perfect storm of the clots coming up. You have to have the clots in the legs or right. from the pelvis come up right. and then shoot across and be shot up to the brain. But it's but it's not as common? No, no. It's usually a rare situation, but we look closely for it. But it's scary. Mm. It certainly is. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did, it, did the, is that the one that the um, football player had? Teddy Bruschi? Uh, th- right, uh, Bruschi? To my, yeah, to, Patriots. Yeah, to my knowledge, he had it. Um, uh, if we get time, we'll talk about uh, yeah, the linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, I followed that case. Um, uh, to my knowledge, he had, um, and I could be wrong, he, he had a, a dissection. I think. He had a dissection. In other words, that was maybe from trauma. Um, oh. Young adults get um, strokes. You know, right, it's very oh, definitely. Scary in young it's adults. scary. Yeah. I, know, I know my husband saw younger patients at Gaylord when he was doing his rehab that had had a stroke. And it's, you know, when you're. When you're not as educated, you're not around medicine as much. I think you think it's a disease of the old. Oh no! Right. You know, no. you think it's a disease of the old, but right. it's definitely not. No, definitely not. No, no. There's many circumstances uh, where um, strokes occur in young people, and uh, at my age, it deter- it's what what's really old. I mean, what's your definition? What's old? old? I'm not I don't, old. I'm not old. I'm not old. So definitely not. So old. I, we consider premature stroke in um, patients that are younger than 50. Right. But I really kind of extend it. Uh, I extend it further up because I'm mm-hmm. always looking for causes of stroke very, very hard in those patients where we call cryptogenic. Right. I always tell the residents or the attending doctors, where did the stroke come from? Where did it come from? We have to find it. Right. So we look close. And particularly with young people, you have to look closely. You have to look closely. Yeah. So with the scheme, do you want to talk more about ischemic stroke or do you want to move on to hemorrhagic? Probably should move on to hemorrhagic. Maybe. No, I, th- I think is there any other, um, I, I think that's that, that handles that. So, so the ischemic is the most common, which is the 87%. 87%. What about a hemorrhagic? Because that, that's scary to me. Anytime you hear hemorrhage, mm-hmm. you know, hemorrhagic, that's to me an emergency in and of itself. Right. 
Usually they're much more violent, and uh, they're much more violent. They, they happen quicker. Mm. You don't have a warning, a severe headache, and uh, they're much more devastating. Usually a severe headache. Sudden, sudden, severe. Yes. sudden, sudden severe, severe headache. Different than any other, even if you have migraines, it's set, it's a set apart. Yeah, sudden, yeah. severe headache. How do you intervene that quickly? Well, something like yeah, that. The fir- well, the first thing is that how, well, how do we determine whether they're ischemic or right? How do you uh, determine or, or blood right. or bleeding? Right. right, And that's where we'll talk about and uh, uh, shortly uh, about the acute stroke code that we do a CAT scan and a CAT scan differentiates very nicely between um, a dry or ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke. Hemorrhagic strokes um, can be uh, of a number of um, uh, uh, types. Right. Uh, The first is the most common is intracerebral hemorrhage, which is actually in the brain. Mm. Uh, They can be um, vessels that break outside the vein. Right. Outside the brain, and um, usually from an aneurysm. So that so if you do the CAT scan with a intracerebral hemorrhage, you'll see the blood inside the brain. Right. Uh, with a subarachnoid hemorrhage, you'll see the blood coating the brain around. Wow. And then there's another one that I'm sure that some of the listeners would, would might have heard is a, um, a subdural hematoma. Subdural hematoma. Yeah. Yep. And somebody gets trauma on the skull, and you get bleeding in that area. And now what happens with the bleeding in that area? Does the brain reabsorb? What usually happens? Over time. Right. Over time they do. But there's a lot of damage from um, blood in the brain. Absolutely. First of all, when, when um, the uh, hemorrhage occurs, and usually with, with a condition with hypertension, there's, there's a high pressure blood dissecting mm. and, and um, causing shearing forces in the brain, actually destroying as it goes through. Wow. Also, the, the products of blood uh, has iron in it. <laughs> Those iron products. You're Italian. You talk yeah, with your I'm hands, Doc. It's all right. <laughs> so if you hear any dinging on the microphones, because Doc's talking with his hands, but you're in good company. That's why I hold the clock. Like some of the, politi- <laughs> like some of the politicians. Yeah. You can tell which politician by, his, by what he does with his hands. But the, the blood products actually cause damage, too. Wow. So usually, um, you know, when someone has a hemorrhage, the intracerebral one, I'll, I'll think in terms of high blood pressure. Right. But they're, they're decreasing. That was the vast majority. They're decreasing a little bit as the blood pressure is being controlled. Right. There's a condition that, that maybe some of the listeners might hear in the future called amyloid angiopathy, which we're finding more often. And those are just um, people, as you get older, you get a little degeneration of the blood vessels. Right. And some of those vessels hemorrhage. They, they bleed. And then they, you could have a bigger... And that could cause a stroke. And, and, but they could open up and cause a bigger stroke. Wow. Very important, uh, um, a very important cause of intracerebral hemorrhage is the fact that the population's older, is getting older. Getting older, right. Some right. people have, right. a lot of people have valve heart disease and atrial fibrillation as they get older. And what's happening? They're being put on anticoagulants. Right. And these anticoagulants can be a primary cause of intracerebral hemorrhage because it's believe. Which is so scary because... There's so many commercials out there now, and I know we'll talk more about treatments, but there's so many commercials out there now with, there's so many patients that have been diagnosed with AFib, my husband being one of them initially, and we treat them with the anticoagulants, all these new products. But one of the biggest complications is bleeding, which they already had a stroke. (laughs) But you're maintaining, so I mean, it's it's, it's a, a catch twenty two. It's a definite balance. Yeah, it's definite, definite balance. balance. Yeah. You know, it's a definite balance. I, it's but it's definitely scary. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these new medications on, and you 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 need to be on them because you need to ensure that you don't clot, because your clot mm-hmm. was probably the initial cause, but. Right. The yeah. complication could be bleeding. The very uh, uh, wonderful uh, news about this whole thing is that the new anticoagulants uh, right. are safer. They're easier to give, and it's it's a nice thing. They to are safer. The new the family of them is definitely safer. I know we switched to a newer one, and with Dr. Kelly, and of course there's no other, but Dr. Kelly, we switched to a newer one, and it's much easier. Not only that, mm. the reversal of the bleeding is getting easier too. Definitely. And it's it's a, it's a so great, if you need to have procedures future. done, it's it's much easier. You know, it's not it's not diet restrictive, and it it fits into lifestyle, mm-hmm. but it also fits into 
the ability to help a patient. I know that you've been working on a lot of different methods to right, coagulate. We just brought in the, um, so when patients are on Coumadin and they have a hemorrhage, we actually just um, brought in a medication called Kcentra. Right. So we have a whole protocol um, that we went through and the nurses uh, were all educated, the physicians, and we now have this medication on board. So if you a patient presents with a life-threatening bleed and they're on Coumadin. Due to Coumadin. Due to right. Coumadin, right. Um, we would, this we have this available now. That so you can give the patient, it would stop give, the bleeding immediately. It stops the bleeding, it brings down the INR within uh, like half an hour as compared to the treatment we used to offer. Right. So it's a big improvement. Which is incredible. It is. Yeah, yeah that yeah. and... Um, also for hemorrhages, uh, hopefully it'll be new procedures, surgical procedures, microvascular procedures, low-invasive procedures. To tr- um, it's it's incredible where we've come. Yes, it's incredible where we come, and and the continuous work that they yeah. do, because long ago when a patient had a stroke, they had a stroke and that was it. Right, they had a stroke and that was it. We you didn't know? have these options. We did not have these options, and you know, even when my husband had a stroke, I mean, we had some options, and we were very blessed that at least, you know, that option intervened to a point where he did get some of the stuff back, right. and his cognitive skills or his, you know, for the listening audience, you know, or his ability. To to think and reason, which is so important to maintain and be able to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can't communicate, that's that's absolutely the worst. Wouldn't you say, me? Yes. <laughs> he's not I have speaking. him. I know. He I have him in the speaking. way. He's in the cheap seats in the back here. So if we do, you know, we talk about the different types of strokes, but for a patient out there, I think one of the best information that we can give them tonight is what are the symptoms? I mean, because the earlier you act, right, the, the better chance you are of, of long-term issues. The sooner we can treat your stroke, identify it. And then treat it if you're a candidate for the, there's only one medication, it's called TPA or Alteplase, mm-hmm. um, that's approved, and uh, we have that, of course. Mm-hmm. But the whole key is time. So it's, it's important to get to the hospital as soon as possible. Because there's a window of opportunity to give that medication. Right. And the sooner um, we give it to the onset of symptoms, the better the outcome. So right. it's important for the community to know to activate 911 when they have signs and symptoms of stroke. So part of the stroke program is educating patients when they come in with stroke and stroke-like And not um, just the, for themselves, but also for others. Family members. Yeah, or work, anybody, or in exactly. the mall, or, you know, gym, anywhere, someone, just to absolutely. recognize what a symptom would be. Right. So I know mm-hmm. there's a key phrase that we use. It's called FAST. Right, so ACT FAST. It's an acronym from the uh, National Stroke Association. So let's, let's talk about what that is. So it's um, really they take uh, FAST, and F means face. So you ask the person to smile, and does one side of the smile face droop so there's face arms you have the person raise their arms and if one arm droops that's concerning that's a positive and then speech ask the person to repeat a simple phrase is their speech slurred or strange Mm -hmm. and the last T time so if you observe any one of these symptoms you want to activate 911 and communicate to them that you think this person is having a stroke So how would the patient, uh, you know, because these are all visual, how would the patient feel? You know, what is, is there a sense of feeling with the patient? I I think that's an excellent uh, question because um, one of the reasons why uh, we don't get strokes quick enough as opposed to MIs. Right. Because when you have a heart attack, you don't feel good. You don't feel good. You don't feel right. You get your, you you get into that ER. Uh, How do you feel? Uh, It depends. It really depends. There's depends a whole spectrum of symptoms. Yeah. Right. And uh, many times the um, patient's family or an observer is the one that sounds the alarm. Because they don't even realize it. Correct. Yeah. How, would you, how would you feel? I think it gets very technical. I mean, very, very specific uh, answer to that is, um, uh, for example, your vision. You right. could, loo- you could right. definitely you could lose your vision. You could lose a visual field. Mm. Um, you, feel, you could feel, um, and, and that would happen with an occipital stroke or the back of the brain stroke, the visual cortex. You would lose vision mm. or you would get um, a distorted vision, usually right. negative uh, images in your field. Right. You could lose uh, with something called amaurosis just a few jacks, you could lose um, uh, a, a field of your vision. Right. 
just a part of it. Just a portion of it. That's disturbing. Usually yeah. that's disturbing. Um, with um, I, I've had many patients who were able to say that I just wasn't able to speak. Right. I well, just, and I you just know that's not able to form words. We've seen very recently on TV there's been reporters that have had migraine episodes, but it. Took, it Mimics. made it look like mimicked a stroke, mm-hmm. right? That's, so, dif- that's differential that's, diagnosis of right. stroke. We should Some, talk about that, too. Yeah, but, people present with dizziness. Yeah. It could be as simple as dizziness. If, so if, in addition to fast, there yeah. are these other... Vertigo. Yeah, yes. vertigo. If, yeah. If, the, if the posterior portion of the brain, the cerebellum, is affected, um, uh, as Beth said, severe vertigo, and if the brainstem is affected, speech and uh, double vision. Wow. Um, and it's scary because, you're, like you said, it mimics other things. Right, and, and there is a tendency for us to wait right and see if it goes away right that's human nature it is human nature because you think it's something else it can't be a stroke right right or you're not even realizing it correct exactly yeah you're not even realizing it so we have people that are more vulnerable in our society for a stroke so is it more common for people with hypertension of course, but there's so other the risk, risk factors. factors. Yeah, right. so, so let's maybe let people know a little bit about what those are. Sure, the number one risk factor is hypertension. Um, and the good thing about stroke, the good news is a lot of these risk factors are modifiable. So, so the things that we can control. The things. So I'll say, mention real quickly what we can't control. You know, is our age, gender, race, genetics. Right. So that's what we're we, we're predetermined with. But the hmm. things that we can change. Eighty percent of the risk factors. So hypertension is number one. Can your blood pressure under control? So if you have hypertension, it's important. What do you consider yeah. hypertension? I consider hypertension as uh, anything above 120 over 80. Really? I think the official numbers are 140. Used to be uh, used to be 150 I over like, 90 when I, I was in school. People, now there are exceptions. Older people yeah. have heart arteries. You know, they're they're. It's got to be. You got to taper. You know. Right. You gotta, um, people will, will need different parameters, but blood pressure to me has been the biggest nemesis. The biggest. Uh, burden, mm. and I think it's the carries the world burden as far as stroke and proper and wow. MI too. Mm. Uh, that's that's the b- biggest biggest. It's the one thing there. we can really control. Yes. So much that when a person comes in and they have a stroke, that seventy-four um, percent uh, of those people that I see with stroke have hypertension. So yeah. It's so common. Yeah. Same thing with MIs too. With, with right. Heart definitely. So Cardiovascular. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And what else? So diabetes is another diabetes risk factor. is just one of those, one of those conditions that just leads to so many issues. I, you know, I was just meeting with someone today in regards to our diabetic patients and and you know and amputations and the vascu- the vascular um, portion of what diabetes affects is unbelievable. It is, and some people and it's very know. controllable. It is. It's interesting. Diabetes uh, isn't. The main thing, it's what it causes. What it causes. It causes the kidney disease that causes the hypertension. In, the vas- vascular. Disease, yeah. Everything. It, yeah. Ca- it causes everything. And you know, it's really difficult because some patients do everything they can to keep it under control. And when it's genetic... It makes it even harder, but you, know, you do the best you do the best you can with them to modify it. But if they keep it under control, yeah, right. that's the right. That's right. The goal. And right. the prevalence is so high. I think we're Huge. talking seven, eight percent of Americans have diabetes. have diet some form of it. And there's another one they're tracking down that's pre-diabetes. So, Pre- oh yeah. So we're we're looking into that closely and trying to draw the relationship between pre-diabetes and uh, and uh, strokes, heart attacks, and I see people with with bad nerves. So oh, we try to track that down and. And they don't, you know, usually don't go after it aggressively enough. They don't go after it aggressively. I think, you know, you know, it's funny when patients go for their annual exams and their blood work and they, you know, with their primary care physicians, I think they they do blood work, but not always are they really looking at the sugar and really, I mean, you look at your sugar A1C. once a year. I don't think that A1C needs to be, it needs to be really up. looked at. I, yeah. I like the two-hour glucose tolerance. And, yeah. And I catch a lot of heat for those, but I like to see what they're showing there. Yes, I think that that's a huge thing. We used to do them all the time when we were pregnant we always had to do a glucose tolerance dense yeah. test there was a uh, there's a study that uh, St. Mary's is participating in it's called the IRIS study and they're they're looking at uh, prediabetes and stroke really and see whether uh, they, they identified people with prediabetes and they're they're treating that and they're going to see whether they do better than people not treated 
Wow. And secondary prevention. So now the patients with diabetes that leads to a stroke, are those older patients with uncontrolled diabetes, or do you find those in people that may be pre-diabetic and don't even know it? I, I think usually it's the worst. It's the worst older. Yeah, it's the older population. And it's key when you're in that we, if you're known, I mean, we check your sugar, but right. known diabetics, we really want to keep it in control. There's a range that we're looking for. And once a patient has a stroke, not to go off on a tangent with the diabetes, but once a patient has a stroke, what does that do to their diabetes? I mean, do the numbers go all over the place because now it's a I stressor? Think any stress, yeah. Yeah, because it's stress. a stressor. There's so much that we don't like to try to diagnose diabetes right. when the patient's under that amount of stress. We'll, we'll look at it and then watch them for... And then watch it. Um, what else is um, our risk factors? Because sure. there's some High real key ones. So when we talk oh. about cholesterol, that's cholesterol. So, so it's that the cholesterol bad cholesterol. It's that all LDL. The time. LDL is what we're looking at. That's the bad cholesterol. LDLs are bad one. LDLs are the bad one, and our target is to have it less than 70. And people will say, "Well, my cholesterol is good," and they're t- thinking the whole number. But right, the whole number. We're looking at the bad number, the LDL. Right. So mm. the target is 70. And, under 70 um, and under. Under 70 and under is the goal. So well, they, they still well, there's LDL, HDL, and the triglycerides. They still right. looking at the HDL and the triglycerides. I think most of the studies have, uh, and treatment regimens have right. evolved around the LDL, treating the LDL. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Uh, atrial fib. We talked about that a My, that, that's yeah. the word I hate. Rich, how about atrial fib? <laughs> the word we talk, never huh? even heard of and then, you know, reared its ugly head on us. So it's, it's, it's definitely one of the things I think in our population that is now getting so much press Because we're seeing it's important to understand it. Right. So as people are diagnosed with it, you know, this is cardiovascular month. You know, people need to know that they're at a greater risk for a possible stroke. You know, absolutely AFib because the heart is not functioning properly. The beat isn't right. Right. So you have more risk of clots. The beat isn't right, and, and there's usually a valve in the atrium. Part of the part of the heart isn't functioning right. The clot forms there; they go together. Clot forms there, and then it, it can escape. And once it escapes, it can go right to the brain. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um. and uh, an important point about atrial fibrillation is that uh, if atrial fibrillation, in the proper circumstances, treated aggressively, right. you can reduce the incidence of stroke by eighty percent. Wow. And there's scores. Oh, definitely. There's scores. There, there's a Chad score where they'll they'll add up all different age and whether you have diabetes, hypertension, prior stroke, and they'll give you a Chad score or no, they'll be able to determine whether you should be treated aggressively or not. Right, so when you look at the CHAD score, based on the fact that you had this episode of AFib, if you're at a higher level, then they'll treat you maybe with the anticoagulants or just, you know, and other treatments and that versus maybe a daily aspirin Correct. and watching you. Correct. Well, we have gone quite a while, so I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about treatment, and I want to talk a little bit about what we are doing at St. Mary's with our team. We'll Perfect. be right back. Mm-hmm. 
back, everyone. Robin Sills, Medically Speaking. I have my microphone too close here. Sorry about that. Welcome back again. Robin Sills, we're Medically Speaking. We're Medically Speaking tonight about stroke and stroke awareness. I have with me tonight part of our stroke team, and we have with us Dr. Peter Greco. Dr. Greco is a neurologist and very close to the heart of St. Mary's Hospital. So welcome again, Dr. Greco, for joining us tonight. And we have Beth Nielsen, who is our new stroke coordinator and been with us a long, a little over a year. year. Yeah. A little over a year. Good to be here. Yeah. A little over a year. So, Beth, thank you so much. We're talking about stroke awareness because we really believe that it's really important to get this information out to the public and, a, and, and make you more aware about stroke and make you more aware about what you need to see, what you need to realize, what you need to do in the event that you suspect yourself or a family member or a friend is having a stroke, and also knowing what St. Mary's has for you in regards of services and what we're doing as a hospital to improve and grow as a stroke center. And we talk about, we've talked about the signs and symptoms of different types of strokes because, you know, we only have an hour. You can't fit it all in. So I think one of the best things for us to, to really move into right now is to talk about what a family can expect, what a patient can expect when a stroke happens and they come to St. Mary's Hospital right. and what we have as far as our process goes. And, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago how I'm hearing now over the loudspeaker stroke alert. Yeah. And yeah. so what does that mean? So stroke alert. Well, patients present two ways to the hospital. And ideally with a stroke, we'd like you to come via EMS. So via the ambulance, via, right. Right. So and the majority of our strokes, um, we're tracking like what percent and the majority actually are activating EMS, which is great. So um, if you call EMS and, and they're aware of this whole, because that's really where it starts, mm-hmm. is out in the community. So mm-hmm. EMS and you say, you know, suspect stroke, they'll ask a couple key questions and then they'll call into the emergency room and say, we have a stroke suspect coming in. Mm. So that's where it starts. Last known well of, you know, six hours. So the onset mm-hmm. of symptoms, um, what the symptoms are, you know, if they have one of those uh, fast symptoms or... Right something that makes them think stroke and they call it in and so the um, ED nurse mm-hmm. and physician are aware and they meet the uh, EMS folks right as they come in to so the right hospital. as the so there's no in. waiting there's no waiting and the uh, ED doctor does a very quick assessment reassessment and uh, confirms that this looks like a stroke and they do a very specific neuro test a scale um, the NIH stroke scale they check that and then we activate our stroke alert so um, it's very quick I so is the patient, stroke alert is, uh, is is alert is the stroke alert alerted when the ambulance is on his way or when they've assessed when, the patient when they've assessed the patient okay. so we get pre notification so we're ready it's a very rapid assessment on arrival the patient is registered um, so they're in our system and then the physician confirms you know yes this is a stroke and then we have a process we dial in the operator overhead pages which is what you hear stroke alert and what that really does is it um, alerts radiology because the patient needs to go up to radiology to have a cat scan to see so like a cat scan is always first scan right first and we have we try to get the cat scan um, started in less than 25 minutes so by the overhead alert the cat scan um, folks the tech will clear the table Right. There's a patient on the table right. so that they can get this patient. But CAT scans are really bad. I mean, I come from the world of radiology for a very long time. So that I understand, especially now with the newer, um, with our newer CAT scanners. So patients understand CAT scans are like five minutes. I mean, even an abdominal CAT scan we can do in five minutes. So they move quickly. So yes. to move a patient off the table, yeah. it's not like it's a longer scan like an MRI, you know, where patients are on there for a long period of time. Right. No, no. The CAT scan will immediately, the CAT scan in the history will immediately let us triage what's going to happen to that patient. It's the first step. For example, if there's a hemorrhage, right. then we automatically know. it's going to, to fall into uh, treating a hemorrhage. Right. If the patient is, uh, if the scan is negative and we think it's a dry stroke or ischemic stroke, then we will uh, consider treating them with TPA. Right. Uh, If um, the patient's getting outside of the range of TPA, we may consider transporting the patient for for a possible catheter procedure, a mechanical device procedure to to pull out a clot. Really? Yeah, see, we didn't talk about the the type of stroke center we have. So we are, um, what we're going for is called primary advanced, where we um, have neurology, we have TPA, we can treat, but we actually don't do any interventions like clot retrieval. But we work very closely with other institutions around us, so collaborating with them as part of the 
team process. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about sending out our stro- a stroke patient, it's because we've assessed them, we've treated them. Right. We've really, done our workup. Right. We've done our right. workup, and then we can send them to our whatever our partner is right. to be able to provide that next level of care. Right, and we want to move quickly because um, the intervention has a longer window. Right. But we still want to move just, you know, very quickly and get them through uh, radiology. So a patient would go up, it happens very quick. Right. You know, the patient is whisked up, they're on a monitor. Right. Um, When they go up um, on the EMS stretcher, they stay right on the stretcher when they come in through EMS. The nice thing, too, is that the the proximity of our emergency room to the radiology department, it's one floor up and it's in the same hallway as the elevators. I mean, it's really a quick it is We're it's very really well it's very quick I mean that was good positioning yes. for the radiology unit as well as the ER to, to get have that quick access for your patients right now when can I just say, so yeah the go stroke ahead. alert goes out there's a call to the neurologist on call there's always a neurologist on call and so they're aware that this um, stroke suspect has, you know, is on campus, and we're putting him through. And this we always process. have access to Dr. Greco because he's over the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. She over the bridge. <laughs> I get try to get in quick. We try. It's yeah. Got to get things done quickly. You do have to get things done quickly. I mean, you know, it's time is it's a matter of time. Time is brain. There are millions of brain cells that are lost right in minutes. Right. And that that progresses. It's, not, it's amazing. In reversible state. And it's, it's scary. I mean, you know, it's scary as a, a family member. So I'm, everything's scary. moving really fast for them. A lot of people what happens together. It's a team. Yeah. So there's a lot of people in your room. You come back from radiology. You go into uh, one of the emergency room rooms. Uh, you're connected to a monitor. We get an EKG. We get blood work. And there's discussion. Um, the neurologist will be in, and they'll talk about, are you a candidate? You know, for the TPA. TPA or not. And there's, you know, inclusion, exclusion criteria. So um, if you'll be staying at the hospital um, you know if you receive TPA you would go to critical care for at least 24 hours and you stay on a monitor now just because time is of the what just so for the audience what is a TPA like what does the TPA do it breaks TPA up. Uh, technically is tissue plasminogen activator yeah and it's a chemical that uh, actually lyses the clot or breaks up the clot. Clot buster, I've clot heard buster. people, right? Yeah. Clot buster. Yeah. Yeah. So Technically, the there's, there's a whole cascade of chemical reactions that actually work on the fibrin and the, and the uh, clot and actually dissolves it. So if we have an ischemic clot and you have a clot that's blocking that pathway, this medication will get to that clot, break it up, so then it can be absorbed or flow freely so that the brain gets what it needs. Right, right. symptoms. In, just in a simpler term. That, yes. that makes sense? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, I mean, just so the brain can be revived. Right. Revascularization. And what have you seen when that happens? I mean, I know you watch it. How Well, first of all, how long does it take to be injected? Over an hour? Or? It's over an hour on a pump. And then, but every patient, um, their symptoms resolve differently. We've seen a couple mm-hmm. patients um, that have resolved pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then other people, it takes months. Right. It takes um, months, really? So it's very individual. It depends on, of course, you know, the size of the clot, where it is. Mm-hmm. Really? So it's, that's interesting, because that I didn't know about it. So it stays in your system, and it takes time. Well, no, it lyses the clot. What happens is, is it um, lyses the clot within, and it's really out of the system within an hour or so. Okay. But then you have all the different processes where that, brain tissue that's up for grabs, right? stunned brain tissue, finally mm-hmm. get some blood flow in there. And that could take, as Beth said, from an hour, a couple hours, and you show signs of improvement to many days. Wow. So it's over the three-month period that wow. the NIH trials have showed that people who got TPA versus didn't get TPA, the ones that got it did a third better. Wow, that's really at a, interesting. At a small risk of hemorrhage. Right. But it it um, uh, it's, it's beneficial. Well, you know, we were just talking about that, too, you know, with, with, with my husband. I mean, he did bleed, but he had no speech, mm. you know, and now he has, you know, pretty much perfect speech, you know. So, if anything, I mean, at least, you know, you get that piece back. It's so important. Right. You know, it's definitely really important. He was a... He was one of those odd cases, so we told him we're not going to refer to him anymore. Mm-hmm. He's an oddball. <laughs> so what else involves the team? So what happens from that process? 
So if, if you receive TPA, you right. need to go, um, we would monitor you very closely, so you go to critical care. Mm. Um, if you were not a candidate for, for TPA, maybe for whatever reason, you would be admitted to our um, neuro unit, okay. uh, O'Brien 4. Yeah. Uh, you'd be on a monitor. Uh, for 48, we look for atrial fib. We look for that irregular you look for heartbeat. The right. So you're on a monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, we draw blood work. We monitor your blood pressure. Um, we check. Uh, ne- there's a very specific neuro assessment we do to um, check how you're doing. So when you come in and we assess you, we say, okay, your NIH is the name of the right. assessment. So right. you're a three. So we right. want to know. We we hand that off, and yep. so people know what your baseline is with this stroke presentation. So the nurses will continue to do that, and then um, let's see, we check mm. blood pressure, your heart rate, rhythm. Um, we do yeah. labs, blood work. We look at your cholesterol, among yeah. other things. For the listeners, the NIH stroke scale is actually a neurologic examination, functional scale, where you where you have um, it's just a, uh, an examination where you right. have points, right. a score, and um, a low score is one or two, uh, a score, uh, and that measures maybe a little bit of weakness and maybe a, a, a minor deficit, right. but you add up the score uh, of different body functions, right. and one of eight or nine starts to be pretty serious, mm-hmm. and when you get to 12 or 13 or, or 20, you're talking about non-functioning by yourself anymore. Right, absolutely, and, and so when, we're, when we admit these patients, we're monitoring them to ensure that they don't get any more deficits. And we can recognize it. And we can recognize it and treat right. it. Right, exactly. So and then, treat it. Um, we talked about who, you know, we're talking about the team process, which is so important. So maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the team uh, in the ED, it's, you know, you have ED physician, the nurses, you know, your PCAs, everyone is involved, really, the unit clerk, the neurologist. Um, When we transfer you to the floor, then it's your medical, you know, physicians. Right. um, And uh, the neurologist consults. You have your nurses on the floor and your PCAs. I think what I love the most is the piece with the EMS, the ambulance workers, because it's that, I mean, so when we're, we're looking to create our stroke protocol, they were the key point of reference and who we picked really first because they're the first part of the team your your first line of defense to bring that patient in right and one of the the biggest change we made that we got our most money with is not money but the best improvement was working with EMS mm. when they called us when they called <coughs> in a stroke and the patient stayed on the EMS stretcher right and went right up to Catskin we saved so much time you saved right so there. much time right there because, they were right. so willing to, I mean they that's worked awesome. with us and it was a was we started that in May and that's incredible it has um, really helped us to quickly identify because we were able to get right to Catskin and get that because we're getting close to our the end but we still have we still have a little time i want to talk about what we're doing at st mary's because you're working you know you alluded to it when we first started about you know our accreditation and i think it's so important for the audience to understand all the strides that we've made and some of just the things that we've talked about just now in this past hour are really a small piece right there's two yeah and there's everything that happens behind the scenes is so important you know all the protocols that were set up are to get us to this level of excellence and this accreditation, which you guys as a team have worked so hard on. So maybe let's talk a little bit about what that means. Sure. And part of this whole program is having a team. So there's a, a, a core team we meet weekly to, to work on these processes right. because they are um, there's multi-levels to every change. Oh, definitely. And then there's a, we have a big uh, multidisciplinary team, and it consists of um, Dr. Greco and myself. We have uh, the ED nurse manager, um, the nurse manager from critical care, the you know, the uh, neuro floor. We have radiology on team. We have um, so you talk physical about therapy, it, and we look at all like a month's worth of data and look at the outcomes mm-hmm. and the processes we have in place, and because the data is really what drives your process changes. And are so, they working? Aren't they working? Where right, can, where we, can we make it okay. better? Because that's right. the most important thing. You're not going to, you know, you, you want to be perfect, but things happen. And so, okay, something's happened that we've never seen before. How do we make it better? Right. So don't worry about Johnny. Make a change. Don't worry about Johnny. So we and, and we're striving for national certification. Right. This Joint is Commission a, certification. So that nas- state, that's state huge. certified. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're striving further for um, There's significant recognition. 
and that should and that should be happening soon. It should be happening. We're anticipating the Joint Commission will be at St. Mary's to certify us in April or May. Which is why I can't have you do any programs in April. But May, I might need you because it's Stroke Awareness stroke, Month. May is Stroke Awareness Month. Month May Absolutely. is Stroke Awareness Month. So yes. I'm going to need you a little yes. bit out there in the community. Absolutely. Definitely. We're going to have to... You know, we're to gonna have back. to hand. We're gonna have to show everybody that certificate. Absolutely. So, if we leave the audience with a few things, maybe you want to just touch base on a recap on a couple of things you want to leave them with, which is so important. Sure, it's a medical emergency. Stroke is very important. It's a cardiovascular disease. If you suspect someone's having a stroke, you want to call nine one one and say, "I think someone, you know, so and so is having a stroke," mm -hmm. and that will start the whole chain of events. Uh, it's fast, so face, facial droop. Arms, have the person speech. hold up arms, right? Speech, and, and time. Time is of the so element. So time, fast, act fast. That's what I'd like to leave with. Yeah. Oh, that's Come so important, incredible news. Yeah. And I'd like to leave uh, one note that the risk factors for strokes, if you have any, mm. you better be very careful with them. Absolutely. Yes. And get yourself checked. Pay attention. Watch your, watch your blood pressure. Yeah. Listen to your heart if it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right? Checking, checking your pulse now, Doc. Listen to your heart. Make sure and make sure you follow a healthy diet. And if you are a diabetic, stay true to your medication and get your doctor checked. Right. You know, have your doctor check you. Yeah. Well, thank Help you again lifestyle. so much for joining us. You guys did incredible. We're going to have to bring you back for stroke awareness. We'll great. talk a little bit more of what we've done further. But St. Mary's Hospital striving for a stroke center of excellence in our certification, and we're very excited. So this is Robin Sills. I want to thank you for joining me again tonight. We will be back, um, I believe, March. I believe March 2nd is our next program. March 2nd, because uh, uh, February is a short month. March, March 2nd, we will ba be back. It's Colorectal Awareness Month. And I will have our colorectal surgeon, Dr. Asamade, joining me talking about colorectal cancer. So I welcome you to join us for that. And you can also join us for a big event we're having February 25th at the ARIA. It's called Conquer Cholesterol with Dr. Rebecca Scandra, our interventional cardiologist. I believe it might be sold out. However, you can always look on our website. Never know. We may have a few more seats available. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital. Exceptional care. Every patient, every day. Have a great night.